world. It's Marlon Blakeney. One more time, we're back at you. I uh, hope everybody's enjoying their day and um, surviving this uh, COVID pandemic time. Uh, today, we are fortunate and uh, again, I'm truly blessed to have an old friend, Joy Benedict, on the uh, podcast today. Uh, <laughs> she is, uh, if you don't know, which you probably don't, uh, she is documented to be uh, a writer and uh, she's done a lot of writing and, and different things uh, from movies, uh, news, uh, newscaster. Uh, she's always, all, always on the news in LA for CBS. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about her and um, the uh, pathway to being on the news and what got her there and uh, some of the, the trials and tribulations that come along with that, living in a big city, the city life. So welcome, Joy! Woo! <laughs> What's up, Kansas City? Right, right, Casey. <laughs> so, Joy, we go back like to college. We were just talking about it, actually. And I know, think I was actually in high school. I was just lying right. about my age, yeah. which I still am. So, don't yeah, ask me. Yeah, when exactly. I was you still look young. You do. You look really <laughs> young. <laughs> it's just Botox. <laughs> So tell everybody, you're originally from Lawrence, Kansas, is that correct? I am. I went to Lawrence High, mm -hmm. proud chesty lion. Then I went to KU, right. and uh, then I flipped all over the country, being right. a news reporter and news anchor earlier on in my career, and now I'm in Los Angeles. Right. I'm a freelance journalist, is the official term. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> freedom, and you get a little freedom. You're not just locked exactly. in. Exactly. You get to go out and do what you do. <laughs> So talk a little bit about like your pathway. Like I think a lot of the listeners would like to know, um, then, you know, the thing Q World, what we want to do is we're trying to bring in um, a positive twist on life because I think what we find in life is everyone looks at social media, someone's Instagram, and they have all this money, they're traveling and all these people on Facebook and they have the best lives in the world. And we know for a fact, it's not true. Uh, everybody, no matter how much money you have, you go through trials and tribulations and, and different things. So uh, we're hoping to give a positive spin on what real world's about, but also giving people the motivation that they can overcome and become what they want to if they put their minds to. Well, I think the most important thing to remember is social media isn't real. Right. right and people say that to me all the time they message and they're like oh your life is so great things are so fun and right. i'm like well i don't post when i'm sitting around on a friday right. night eating ice cream in my pajamas in the living room right, right. like that's not when you post on social media you okay. post on social media when you're feeling good about yourself or you're feeling good about what you're doing but what do i post like once a week twice mm -hmm. a week like so yeah. just imagine the rest of the time right. i'm not feeling that great right like we were supposed to do this two days ago oh yeah exactly and i was like can we switch to right. saturday it's not because i was so busy on thursday but i was in my pajamas and i didn't right. want to make on and i didn't feel like washing my hair that day so oh, that's my point like I may look great now because I just got off a nine hour shift where I was on TV, but Thursday, like right. this is not going on. <laughs> it was me and my cat on that couch behind me well, and feeling cool. sorry for myself. So, I mean, that's life, right? You have the ups, you have the downs, but the key is to not let the downs stay on the downs. Eventually True. you got to snap out of it and you got to get, get back up again and do right. it again. Yep, you got to get off that chair, get out the bed. Get off that couch, I always say. <laughs> I can wallow for one day, but the next day you're getting up. No doubt. So tell me this, you Ben and Jerry's or what you eating? What you eating? What kind of ice cream? <laughs> I, I got to know. We want to know. I, I do like me some Ben and Jerry's, okay. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but I was trying to be good on Thursday, so it was just wine and frozen whipped cream. Oh, 
frozen cool whip it's a weight watcher secret oh yeah that is good they're light that's light and fluffy yeah <laughs> you just take a light cool whip you stick it in the freezer and it makes you feel like you're eating ice cream and, but you're not that's so awesome so, <laughs> so like so when you came in from lawrence graduated from lawrence high school came to ku did you know what you're going to major in when you came in oh heck no that's what we all said <laughs> exactly so i changed my major a lot so i came in thinking i was going to do political science right was my first major because i wanted to be a lawyer um and then i was like oh this is too much reading right so then i switched to graphic design because right. it was That's you know I was, i'm artsy yeah. so i was like oh i can do this and i'm like whoa this is too much computers right. like right. i don't do i don't do technology <laughs> So I was gonna switch to advertising, and my dad, who was a professor at KU, he was like, Joy, maybe you should talk to someone in the advertising school before you actually switch majors. <laughs> so now I'm like, I think beginning, end of my sophomore year maybe. And so I went in and talked to this professor, and in the journalism school, is where the where advertising at the University of Kansas is in the J school. Mm -hmm. And so I'm talking to him, and he's like, "What do you like?" And I'm like, "Well, I like creative stuff, and I like this, and I just thought advertising would be nice." Right, and right, right. We talked for a little bit, and he's like, "Well, have you ever thought about broadcasting?" Hmm. And I was like, "Broadcasting? Yeah. What's that?" <laughs> he's like, "The news." And I was like, I can major in the news? Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, like, I just wanted to be done. Yeah. Like, I just promised my dad that I would get a college degree in something. Right. Then he said yeah. I could find my way. But I couldn't find my way until I got a college degree, a bachelor's degree. Yeah. So I took one journalism class and I loved it. Right. You yeah. know, I got to do all the things that I liked as far as um, talking to people. Mm -hmm. um, I always have had the gift of gab, and um, I got the creative side when it comes to the writing and the video aspect that goes with broadcasting. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a whole bunch of, of things that really fit for me when it came to television journalism specifically. Right. Right. Um, yeah, and I really enjoyed it. I loved the video and the pictures, and I was always really into photography when I was younger too, so I have like this side where I like, I'm always telling my photographers what to shoot and it drives them crazy. But then they'll admit later, like, that was a really good shot. So oh, it's boy. not, I'm not totally a bad person. <laughs> Whatever, you know, you know what you're doing. So that's what's funny, because when I talk to, like I do talk to uh, some college students every now and then, and I try to do some open, you know, just forums for them, you just ask mm -hmm. questions about life. And that's what I always say is like, don't, you don't, know what you're gonna be you go in with like i went into college i wanted to so i was initially journalism when i went were you and yeah, then you got smart yeah because ku recruited me and they had the owner of kmbc calling me like the owner the ceo of kmbc news in kansas city he was oh, calling oh. me in high school and saying i should go to ku because they wanted me to recruit them but they knew i like wanted to be on sports center back then i wanted to be on sports center and Right. But uh, anyway, so yeah, he called me and that's what I was going to do. I was like, yeah, I'm hyped. And I came and he made, I got to come in and tour KMBC 9 News and all that good stuff. So anyway, got recruited, came in. That's what I'm going to do. And then reality just hits when you get to school. Like you don't know what you don't know. And then with football and all this other stuff, you find that time is like limited. Like, right? You got to choose your poison. Really, you Yeah, do. you pick what you want to do. Exactly, exactly. And that yeah. wasn't it. 
Because in J school, didn't you guys do a lot of the, like what I was learning is that everyone did their stuff like from five to eight or nine. Like that was when everybody met in groups and did projects and. Like at night? Yeah, was that kind of what you I saw? Remember. I can pretend that it was right. that it was 20. Right. So uh, I don't think so. I mean, it depends on where you are. You weren't a broadcast major. What were you? looking no. at for day school. I was I was going to do broadcast. That was my original. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I think some of like the PR teams yeah. did nighttime stuff. Okay. I don't recall having a lot of nighttime stuff because we had the internship afterwards. So I did uh, my classes in the morning, but I did have internships on the weekends and the evenings. Um, I interned at KMBC, the ABC station there in Kansas City. And then I interned at um, WIBW, which was the CBS station in Topeka, was my second internship. And there, I actually got my first chance to be on TV because back in the day, their weekend newscasts were all interns. So I was hired as like the Saturday reporter at WIBW, the CBS affiliate in Topeka. And so I came in every Saturday for a quarter or whatever it was and uh, got to turn an actual piece that aired on TV in Kansas. Oh, you like sweat bullets? Like, I know you had to be nervous like the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, thankfully we weren't doing live shots, right? It was all pre-taped, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of do it, right? Like I took my first job then in Sioux City, Iowa. Mm. And that's when I first had to do live shots. And oh yeah, like I tell kids all the time, like, I mean, I had my script up and I'm like, and then <laughs> the people came. <laughs> oh, here, you know what I mean? Like you just, it's not something that comes instantly. It's something you do over time. And that's why, especially if you want to get into journalism, like you start in those smaller markets. I talked to so many college kids who were like, I want to go straight to Des Moines wow. or Los Angeles or something like that. But, and, and it's not that they won't hire you. And Des Moines isn't like a huge market, but it's considered a middle market, right? At least when I was there to my second job, it's a good seventies market. But the ones that they hire, like straight out of college, like they're hiring you because you're cheap. Right. You're gonna have a crappy schedule. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like you're not hiring you because you're so amazing. Right. Right? <laughs> We're hiring you because you're cheap right. and you're available. Right. And so that's something to remember. And I always tell people, you don't want to go in to any job. And I'm, I think it applies to all professions right. where you're the most inexperienced person there. You want to come in middle of the pack, therefore you're not working weekends. Right. You're not on a, a crappy schedule, right? Like that you have a little bit of balance, but if you're a new person just overly eager for an opportunity, then that's where they're going to stick you and there's a reason for it. True, true, true. That's exactly right. So with this process, like saying, so you went through journalism at KU and then you decided, okay, that's what I'm going to do. What was it like, like, so how, to get an intern, so talk this process so people are outside, they don't know what's going on. They're thinking about journalism right now. I'm in college, I'm a sophomore and I'm going to go to journalism. What is the process like and how competitive is it when you graduate to get internships? Like talk about that, how that works. Well, I mean, it's very competitive. Mm -hmm. But so is everything these days. Right, right. And the good thing nowadays is you have a whole different medium when it comes to stuff online, right? right? 
Right. Um, the whole industry for journalism has changed because of what's available online. So here in Los Angeles, like we hire people much younger than I would have ever been hired in LA because they can do some online stuff or they can be a reporter on cable. They can be a reporter online. They can do all of that stuff and it really helps you get your foot in the door. Like things that were opportunities that, that I never got, quite frankly. You know, and not that I would give back. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of my path. Mm -hmm. I went to Sioux City, Iowa was the first job that paid me up right. in Sioux City. And then I went to Des Moines, Iowa, where I was a morning anchor, weekend and then morning anchor. Then I went to Birmingham, Alabama, where I was a reporter, and then I anchored on the morning show. Then I went to the Akron Bureau of Cleveland, which is a top 20 market. And, uh, but I was in Akron first for a couple of years for one station, for the NBC station. And then I switched over, was hired away by the ABC station, which was then in Cleveland. And I worked there for three years as their consumer investigator and filled in on the anchor desk. And then I got fired. So that was in 2010 in like the height of the recession. Right. And um, so it was hard, right? Like it's really hard. And you're in Cleveland. It's cold up there. <laughs> right? Cold. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's good, good, good. I mean, what I think people need to understand is like, it's, I don't, I don't know. I feel like everyone feels like getting fired or losing your job is like the end of the world. It's the worst thing ever. Don't get me it hurts. No one wants to just get fired. It sucked. I'll tell you that much. However, it's yeah. not the end of the world. It isn't. And if you look it up, like I was just, I was, I did a talk on this, but over 80 to 100K people get fired a day in the United States. It's very, very common. I had a professor in college, a journalism professor, right. who said, and I remember it very clearly, he was like, you're not a real journalist until you've been fired at least <laughs> once. I love it. Awesome. He's like, if you're not fired, you're not pushing hard enough, you know? <laughs> you're not doing it right. Not that I recommend that. Right. Not that I recommend being the pusher. But for me, like, it was just, it was really bad timing, right? It was 2010. Um, it was the height of the recession. I mean, this is a nasty business, mm -hmm. right? So what happened was I was covering the Detroit Auto Show in Detroit. I was in Cleveland. I was their consumer investigator, like one of the most promoted people on their station. And I am in Detroit covering the auto show. And I was complaining about the hotel room situation. So I went to HR because they didn't really, they wanted me to like share a hotel room. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, I'm not playing hotbed. Right. <laughs> Another reporter, like, it's a $69 hotel room in Dearborn, Michigan. Can't y'all just give me my own? Right. 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 I'm only there for one night type of a thing. I agree. Apparently, the general manager at the time got super offended by it. Maybe. I don't know. I came back and my contract was up in March and we'd been talking about re-upping it right this was january and i get back and the hr person is like did everything work out i'm like it's not that big of a deal like i'm over it now right. i've got all these pieces i had to do for the february sweeps book and then we had the cleveland auto show the first week in march which we were sponsors of so we had this big hour-long show so i had all this stuff to do and i get a call from one of my friends in chicago Mm -hmm. We used to work in Cleveland at that same station. And she called me and she's like, did you get another job? And I was like, no, why? 
Yeah. And she was like, my agent just called me and asked me if I would go back to Cleveland to be the consumer investigator at WEWS. Oh, <laughs> that's how you found out? Oh my God. Like, well, I'm the only one there is. So clearly, I'm gonna need to have a talk with somebody, <laughs> right? So this was like end of January. So I went back upstairs to HR and I'm like, listen, like, I don't know what's going on. They only had to give me 30 days notice that they were not renewing my contract. And we were still like three weeks away from that moment. And I went up to her and I'm like, listen, like I realize you only have to give me 30 days notice, right. but if you're gonna start telling people that my job is open, yeah, they're already, yeah, recruiting. You want to tell me first. Right. And she's like, oh, well, I don't know. Let me look into this. That was on a Friday. And Monday morning, they called me in and they said, you're right. We're not renewing your contract. And I was like, all right, well, thanks for letting me know. Yeah. And I still worked through the next month because I had all these pieces that I had already done with people, right? So, you know, I take pride in what I do and I stay and I do my best. And I don't think we got any more pieces, but I had something ridiculous, like 17 pieces airing in the month of February that I'd already been shot, I'd already worked on. So I did them. And although my contract went to like March 19th or something like that, I, um, I made my last day at the Detroit Auto Show. And I was like, I'm taking, using my vacation for the rest of the time. Right, smart. Yep. Right, and, and I left. But what was hard was, it was 2010. Mm -hmm. We were in the height of a recession and I could not find a job anywhere. So I was on unemployment for a year. I filed for bankruptcy, like you name it, I did it. Like, and it was hard because I'm in Cleveland and I've been on TV in Cleveland for seven years. And so everybody's like, oh, I love watching you on channel five. And I'd be like, well, I'm not there anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hard. And what I've learned though in that moment, especially being a young person, you know, at that point, you know, that was 10 years ago. So I was like, you know, early thirties and my whole life was my job. My whole life was my career. And I put all my eggs in this one little basket. And when you lose that basket, you lose yourself too. And so your whole identity of a person, when you wrap it up in your career is, is lost when you lose your career. And that was probably the biggest lesson that I learned from that. You know, and my dad was like, well, some days you're the bug, some days you're the windshield, <laughs> you know? This isn't your time. Right, right. I ended up, I couldn't find a job and my unemployment was running out. So I sold everything I owned. I put my cat in the car and my clothes on an Amtrak train and I came out to LA and I had enough money to live for six months. And it took me three months to find a job at CBS as a freelancer. That's commitment. Like that's, that's just, what was, that's faith, commitment, all that. I mean, you were going to do it no matter what. That's awesome. I mean, but the thing is, I didn't necessarily, at this point, so when I lost my job, I was um, in Cleveland that summer and it was the summer of 2010. And because I had worked in Akron, Ohio, mm -hmm. I was like a walking, talking LeBron encyclopedia. I gotcha. <laughs> and this was the summer, believe it or not, of LeBron's indecision. 
Right, right. Right, when he was leaving Cleveland and he did that whole, he was taking all these interviews in Cleveland from different teams, trying to figure out where he was going. And I ran into people that I had seen previously, but a producer with ESPN who was out of LA. And she was like, they are flying me back and forth from LA. Like, you know more about LeBron right. than anybody. Right. You should field produce for us for ESPN. And I'm like, Feel produce? What's that? <laughs> My famous. Right. Because in local TV, you work on a two-person crew, right? It's a reporter and a photographer. The reporter is not only the on-air talent, but the producer. The photographer is not only the photographer, but they do the sound and they do the editing. When you're working with a network crew, it's a four-person crew. Yeah. So it's a reporter, a producer, a photographer and a sound person, actually five, because there's an editor somewhere else. Right, right, right. And so they wanted me to basically do what I do as a reporter, but not be on TV. So sometimes that means, you know, asking questions and sending the video back to Bristol or whatever the case may be. So she gave me an email. I emailed someone and they hired me immediately mm -hmm. as a field producer for ESPN. Now it was not full-time work. Right, right. But it did tide me over during that time of unemployment, so it stretched my unemployment longer. So right. a week that I would get a job, I didn't have to file that week, so my one year of unemployment could last a little bit longer. Right. So when I moved out to LA, I was really enjoying the field producing aspect yeah, sure. of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that's what I would do. I thought I was done being on TV, right. I would be a field producer, because I realized during that time of unemployment, all the skills that I had that I didn't realize that I had skills in production, right? So I, but I came out here and ESPN wasn't needing me. It was like in the spring, you know, that's not really a hot time for them type of a thing. And so I was on unemployment for a few months. And then all of a sudden I got a call from the CBS station here who I had reached out to six months earlier. Right. And they were like, we'll use you. So I came in and I started working for them. Wow. But then I continued to work for ESPN also behind the scenes. Gotcha. And so when the, shifts, yes, when the shifts went down here, you know, I spent up until two years ago covering the NBA and the NFL here on the West Coast as a field producer for ESPN. And it really helped me as a freelance journalist all-encompassing because when I had a slow week in news I could pick something up in sports you know I even spent a couple of weeks as a as a producer for the Dr. Phil show you so you have all of these like little things that you can do if you just open your mind to it and sometimes I feel like when our chips are down is when we realize how much more we are capable of no doubt and and, and just to add to that which is crazy so the great point when I believe things happen for a reason, I'm just that person. I'm a glad oh, person, optimistic. I always believe like something negative means something bigger and more positive is going to happen tomorrow. So I always believe that. But I think you're, I believe you're right 100%. I think when things happen negatively, it's something in the world saying your, your value is way worth more than this or you have so much more to offer but you're not going to see it if you keep this path going right you're so closed and focused on this now let's slow it down so you can see what all the you know you have a lot of wealth a lot of richness in you and i use that so and then it comes out like this and now you're bigger and better than ever right i, mean, <laughs> I, mean, I hope so yeah you are yeah you i don't know i mean i mean the whole decade's gone by now so <laughs> i'm hoping <laughs> 
But, um, you know, and that's the thing. I feel like when, I always say nothing grows on top of the mountain. And sometimes we all, regardless of our profession, we get so focused on, you know, what's comfortable. Sure. But sometimes you have to be uncomfortable before you realize what else you're capable of. And I'm not saying that being unemployed was easy because it was not. It was one hell of a ride. Right. But I do believe that at the end of it, I came out a little bit better. Not only professionally, but as a human being. And having that perspective of where you've been and having the empathy for other people right now that I'm talking to, you know, all over the area who have lost their jobs. Like, I'm not just sympathizing with them. I can empathize with them because I know what it feels like and I know how hard it is. And at least when we're dealing with the shutdown right now because of the coronavirus, like there is more money out there. The jobs are expected to come back. Like, you know, and when they do, they're, they're going to start hiring. Like in some industries, it may take a little bit longer. My little sister was actually just let go this week. She's an engineer. And the companies that she works for, you know, don't foresee any, you know, drilling of wells in the next six months. So she's been laid off. But, and so it may take her industry a little bit longer to pick back up. But people who are working in the restaurants mm -hmm. and, you know, the retail stores, like that's going to pick back up. Because I promise you, there is nothing I want more than to sit in the dining room somewhere and have a gosh darn top cocktail, you know? <laughs> so I promise you, I will be first in line that's when it. my little pub opens. Hold up. Hey, check this out. This is a big joke. There's two, there's, there's, there's a couple things I say is going to happen. So that first day when they release our, you know, no, no, no more social. Uh, uh, you call it social distance. Our house arrest. Yeah, when we let off the house arrest. We're not grounded anymore. <laughs> exactly. Whenever it, that first day, I t every bar, every restaurant in town, everywhere, they're gonna make more money in that one night than they ever did. <laughs> right? Yeah. Don't you? Believe? They better be fully staffed because I'm coming and I'm getting a double, like three times. <laughs> no, no. Because I deserve it. Right. Right. <laughs> But, and there's another thing I say is going to happen now because of this is uh, I think that in the next six to eight months, we're going to have a big baby boom. There's going to be a lot of babies born. Or a lot of divorces. Exactly. That was the next one. That's the next one. <laughs> I don't know how your friends are, but. I hear you. Yeah. It's, that's the real world, too. They're, that That's reality. <laughs> They're all the same. I know that. But uh, no. Nah, so when, when you talk, so the process you went through, which I love. Thank you for sharing that. Um, but talk about specifically, so for the people that don't understand, like they see the news, they understand it. Uh, they know that you're on the camera. That's all they see. Like talk about like the different positions specifically, like you did for ESPN, talking about the editor and blah, blah, blah. So talk about when you, to, to anyone, just different parts of the news, how the news process works basically. So when well, you, I'll tell you, it takes a village. Right, there you go. Right, it's not just me. Like you may just see me. Like this morning we were at um, a giveaway where a local t-shirt company in Orange County, um, when they were not a non-essential business, right? And they were told to shut down in March, the owners of this company basically like reinvented themselves, bought all this new equipment and started making masks out of their t-shirt material. Oh, wow. So, um, they did that and they were going to give them away to first responders and nurses and stuff who didn't have supplies, right? They're not medical masks, but still, it, they thought it was a little bit of a barrier and it's a, a three-level t-shirt thing. Well, they 
heard about it, like FEMA heard about it. And so FEMA gave them this huge contract to make masks, a paid contract, right? Wow, they did? So, oh yeah. So they have been cranking out masks for the last month and like, they're doing like 300,000 a day. And they're, I mean, they're not making money on this, but they were able to hire a hundred more people. Like they're, they're breaking even, right? With a little bit extra. Like they're not getting, it's not a get rich scheme, right? But they not. are in business right now. So this morning they gave away 20,000 masks to people in the community wow. as like a free, hey, come on by. And so the cars showed up like two hours before opening. They started handing out the masks and the guy's like, I know we said only 20,000, but I'll give them out till, you know, till people are gone or I run out. Awesome. Because so he's like, it's our turn to give back. Like we didn't mean to make a business out of this, but since we did, you know, hey, let's help everybody out because here in California, I don't know how it's in Kansas City, like the face coverings are mandatory when you go into a grocery store or the pharmacy or any of those essential businesses. And some cities are even making them mandatory when you're outside. Okay, so that's just a little background of where I was today. It's, it's similar. Yeah. <laughs> I'm standing out there at 6 o'clock this morning, and all anybody sees is me. But what they don't see is the amazing writer who's working from home who queued up all my video for me overnight. There is a producer in my ear. There is a director. There's a technical director. There's somebody in what we call TOC. His name is Carlos, and he's the one that makes sure the signal's coming through so that my signal goes from where I am to the station and then through the booth and then out to the world type of a thing. And there's a photographer who's standing in front of me who has to put up with all my, you know, what? <laughs> you know, because I'm like, I don't know. It's six o'clock in the morning. Is right. that the right angle? Do we need a light? You know, he's like, Joel, you're driving me crazy. Right. You know, that type of stuff. So like, you know, it's, it's a team effort, I guess, is my point. And, you know, that's just the person that's working with me. That doesn't include the anchor who you also see, the meteorologist you know, who's in her home right now. So there's, and, and this is, we have a small production on Saturday morning. When you're dealing with the larger shows, yeah. it's even more people. Um, you have a whole group of web producers who then take what I say, write something from it and send it out on the web. We do newscasts on the web called CBS MLA. And so they have a whole group of producers and an executive producer. There's someone on the assignment desk who, when I first, you know, call them at 3.30, I'm like, hey, what happened today? Like, what do you want to do? And so it's his job all night to figure out what stories would happen, what are the options for me when my shift starts at four o'clock in the morning. So when I say it takes a village, I mean, it takes a really big village. So you may just see me, but it's it's so not just me. And then also you have to think about the 100 people who were involved in this giveaway today. True. That's right? True. I wouldn't have anything to talk about if they didn't do this. True. That's a good point. And share their story with me and share their time as well. Which is great. You're exactly right. Uh, and, I'm, and the reason I asked that is because um, I, have a, I have a digital marketing company uh, called Q Contrive Marketing. And uh, that's two things that you, the things that you're just saying, like it's so deep and wide after you get started on so many levels from the social media aspect to like you said the editing to everything it's just so much more to it than i ever thought it would ever be and I didn't oh we have an editor too i didn't mention him yeah, right it's just crazy so it's it's really wild
So out of your job, like, what do you like most? Outside of just, the, you know, the, the usual, I like being outside, talking to people, that type of thing. What else? What do you like? Lots of things that I like most. And I know they sound cliche, right. but everybody has different things they like about being a journalist. You know, I, my favorite things are talking to people, doing the interviews, and I'm a writer. Mm -hmm. So I'm a writer at heart. Like you may see me on TV, but I actually sat down and I wrote the heck out of that story because right. I think it matters. Right. And you know, everybody can make fun of me, but like every story matters to someone. Right. Every story. And so therefore it should matter to me. And if I don't give it 100%, whether it's a story that normally I would care about, if I don't care about it by the time it's done, then I'm not doing my job. And if I don't learn to care about it, I can't make you care about it. You know, I get a small window, right? A minute and a half to two and a half minutes tops to make you care about something that's going on in this community. That's my job. And a lot of that takes place in the way that I write that story and the questions that I ask and the way the whole thing is packaged together. Right. So you may not remember the name of the t-shirt company. You may not remember, you know, exactly what somebody said, but hopefully you leave watching that story with some sort of a feeling like, wow, they're doing something really great. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> right? And, 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 and that's the purpose. Really is to make you feel something, whether it's a feel good because of this charity giveaway or whether it's sadness because someone died, you know, and everybody says, oh, I get tired of the crime stories. Well, it's not about a crime. It's about the person that that crime affected. Right. And I think that's yeah. where we kind of lose people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's my job to make sure that you care about that crime. Like, oh, that's yeah. my job. Yeah, and exactly. if you watch my story and you don't care, then I didn't do my job right. No, that's so true. You, you're like, you're so awesome. Um, that's one thing. So you're, you the thing, you've touched through like five different great topics we could go into, but the real one I think is more most impactful that you just said is finding your person or your purpose. What is your purpose and why? Well, I'm going to find a person too. But yeah. <laughs> you may need that sometime too, but no, but your purpose. And that's what I talk about a lot is I think people are so unhappy in the world today because they're doing things that they really don't that's not them. That's not their purpose. It's not their why. And, they, and they're doing it just for either the money or for the look or just to say, you know, it sounds good or, you know, I get to see these people or whatever the case it is. But when you find your real purpose, it isn't about the money anymore. It isn't about, you know, whatever. It, I know journalism is not about the money. <laughs> exactly. Like you can, don't get me wrong, you can make it in this oh. business, but it is a very small percentage. Right. And most people who do news, be it on radio or even TV or newspaper, like they do it because they love it. Right. And I think we forget that a lot because all we see are those main shiny people who are anchoring evening news and, you know, making a million dollars a year. And, you know, but the majority of the people that are in this business, whether you see them or you don't see them, they are not making that kind of cash. Right. Like they are just like everybody else, two or three paychecks away from bankruptcy and homelessness. Mm -hmm. So like appreciate and value that, that they're working right now during this while everyone's at home, not for the money. They're doing it because they care. And because this is their calling is to tell the world and inform the world about what's going on and to ask the questions that we think matter. True. Right? And that's another thing when it comes to like hiring, right? Mm -hmm. And this isn't my job, but 
it's very important that every newsroom have a large range of diversity. And I'm just talking about what people look like. I'm talking about where they come from, what they believe in, you know, religious background. You know, it's not just about what you see, right? It's, it's how you grew up. Mm-hmm. Because when we're all sitting around in a newsroom and we're talking about different stories, a story that I may care about may not be something that you care about. That's okay. Right. We're not wrong. But if we weren't in the same room to discuss it and hash it out, right. then all of our stories would look the same. Mm-hmm. So questioning is what I do for a living. And I had a, a news director who once told me, he's like, I can't expect a reporter to be a tiger in the field and not scratch the furniture a little bit at all. Exactly. Right? That's right. So I am the furniture scratcher. Right. I'm like, I don't think we should do this. I don't want to wear a mask. Yeah. I want to ask questions. People need to hear me. You know what I mean? So it doesn't come out of a bad place. It comes out of a place of, of loving being a journalist. And I, and I think that's what people don't understand. But two things to what you were going to say, I always, you know, uh, my father always said, like, the key to success is figuring out what you're good at and then learning how to make a living at it, right? True. right? True. But also, to that same point, I don't care what you do for a living, some days you want to stay home. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> No matter how much I love my job or how great it is, there were days I wake up, I'm like, I don't want to go to work. I want to lay here with my cat and binge watch Netflix. You know what I mean? Like, we all have bad days. Yep. You want to watch Ozark. <laughs> yes, I still, that's on my list. <laughs> yes, I'm done with you. I got to start up on Ozark. Who's seen really, then? Really but like, so don't feel bad about yourself because you have a bad day. Right. Right? You, you can't do that. One of my favorite sayings is don't make permanent decisions on temporary feelings. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, so, yeah you have to acknowledge the fact that you're just having a bad day mm-hmm. and, or even a bad week. Those happen too. If you start to have a bad month mm-hmm. or you have a bad okay, year, right. <laughs> maybe it's time for you to look for something else to do. And that's okay too. Ooh, that's exactly right. Right? It's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. Sometimes we just got to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. We really do. So that's why I think sometimes a life change can give you new perspective and allow you to kind of search out some of the things that, that you didn't realize that you had or values that you didn't know that you wanted or a career path you didn't know that you wanted. Right, so true, so true. You're just like, that's beautiful. We, I, I feel like we're like kindred spirits because right. everything you're saying, I really like, that's how I live. That's my thought process. Uh, I don't really take things that happen in life like detrimental. I take them as learning and ways that I can adapt and overcome that's really what i do every day i try to keep learning and i'm going to make a mistake oh well get slapped around a little bit get back up right. and try a different path I want to talk about my mistake. <laughs> what i want to talk about is though for people today so you said something earlier which i really want to go right back into a little bit deeper but you talked about um when you when you got, when your cleveland came in when you left when you got let go of cleveland and you didn't have a job and you had to find a way to win move to la give give some inspiration to the people out there right now as you know going through COVID-19 they've lost their jobs and how reasons for how you got through that mentally like day to day because it was a grind day to day up it's down a grind. And I would say you know it was easier for me because the whole world wasn't shut down at the time yeah, yeah. but the, the most important thing to remember when you do lose a job is to still get up every day right 
Right. Okay. Like you can get into a habit where you start to wallow. Yeah. So when you're working 40 hours a week, right? Mm -hmm. You'll take a Saturday and you'll run like five errands all at once on a Saturday morning. Don't do that when you're unemployed. Right. <laughs> right. You pick one thing to do every day and you plan it out the night before. You say, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go to Target. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Tuesday night when you're looking at Wednesday, you're like, Wednesday, I'm going to go on a bike ride. Right. I like that. Thursday, I'm going to take a yoga class. Right. Friday, I'm gonna go to the drugstore. Mm -hmm. Saturday, I'm gonna get groceries, right? You see what I mean? So don't try just one thing, one thing that makes you get out of bed that you're looking forward to or that you need to do. Right. You right. do it that day, one thing. Yeah, I like because that. if you just have one thing to accomplish, mm -hmm. you can get it done. If you bog yourself down with, oh, I gotta clean my whole house, and I gotta work out, and I gotta apply for a job, mm -hmm. and you know, I gotta go to Target and CVS and all these places, no, yeah. one thing. Mm -hmm. That's good. I love That's it. That's how you get up. I agree. You get I... up and you do one thing. I don't even clean my whole house in a day. I don't, and I don't even have that big of a place. I live in LA, right? But right. it's like one room. Right. That's like, today is the day I clean my bathroom. Right. That's so Tomorrow cool. is the day I put away my laundry that I did five days ago. <laughs> I'm like, let's not, let's not get extreme here. <laughs> one thing. That's awesome. You, so right this now, I've been walking, right? So my shifts are down too. Like, I'm not working as much as I used to. Right. Um, because we just don't have that available. I'm a freelance journalist. So um, I always have the two days that they give me at CBS Local. And then I try and pitch my stories to other avenues that I work within CBS. Right. Um, so I spend a lot of time researching stories that may not end up being a story. Right. So for me, it's a walk, right? So I, every morning, first thing I do is I go on a walk. Yeah. And I try to walk four miles. And at the end of it, I get my favorite five dollar cup of coffee. <laughs> but that's, so that's my treat, right? Yep. I just walk four miles. Yep. I deserve a five dollar cup. You, you do exactly. Yeah. Right. So that's my point. Like you have to give yourself something to do and a reward for doing it. Yep. And as somebody whose weight fluctuates, don't make that reward food. That's just. <laughs> You silly. You look great. What are you talking about? I'm just being honest. <laughs> it's always a struggle between french fries and broccoli. Yeah. But, you know, like, but a coffee is okay. That's a good reward, right? Like, you know, just something like that. Or I did this, I'm going to buy flowers or something that you enjoy, right? Like, you need to find something you enjoy that's cost effective for whatever your budget is. Because we all have different budgets, right? So it's okay. Um, that's why I use the word cost effective, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not inexpensive, because we all have different oh, terms. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I'm not doing anything else, so I feel like I deserve to spend six dollars on coffee every day. Heck and yeah. yes, I could make it myself, but I don't want to. No, exactly. It's your routine. It's it's, it's my routine. It gets yeah. me up. It gets mm -hmm. me out. It gets me moving. And so you have to find if you are one of those people who's at home, mm -hmm. you need to find a routine. Something somebody told me was to get up and make my bed every day. Right. That doesn't happen when uh, I'm working. <laughs> but if you're a bed maker, then that's something that you need to keep doing. So you have to think of a routine that you had while you were working and keep doing that routine. Yeah. 
Right. I agree. We say there's a rule in, in football. Uh, football is a game of inches. And it's all about that. Just what you're saying. I mean, you just want one good play, one good stop, one good play that can change the whole game around every, every and it, it could never happen. But the whole time on defense, that's all you're thinking. One tackle <laughs> for a loss or one fumble or one interception or one. Just one. I just, I just need a win. No, that's good. So what I really want to talk to you about, because I was doing some research, and I was, I was really interested in this. Um, you know, I love movies. I'm a mm -hmm. big movie buff. And I saw a little something that uh, said something about peppermint, maybe? Oh, no. I did peppermint. I did um, say that Compton. Yes, that's what I'm saying. I've done no, no. <laughs> I've been, like, in a lot of episodes of How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah. yeah, that's going away. So talk, no, tell everybody, tell what you did. This is awesome. I play myself, so it's not really a stretch role. Um, I just play a news reporter. I mean, when in, when in Hollywood, right? That's right. Um, that's right. So, you know, as I said, I'm a freelancer, so that gives me the opportunity to awesome. do those things that you couldn't do, you know, if I was a staff reporter um, for my station. So, um, you know, they call, they ask. I'm like, sure, let's do it. I am a member of SAG-AFTRA. Oh. Um, I'm a proud member of SAG-AFTRA here um, so in LA. So that allows me to do those things because those are union jobs. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times they prefer somebody who has experience in news because we're such good ad-libbers. So right. a lot of times I have a script depending on the show. So when I do How to Get Away with Murder, they are very scripted, like down to the word. They wanted to sound exactly like they wrote it. But when I did um, Straight Outta Compton, it was all ad lib. So they're like, can you just talk about this, you know, for a little while? So it just depends on, you know, the director and the show and the movie and where it goes. And I, I, I mean, my scene, although I'm still in the credits, like my whole scene was cut out of Straight Outta Compton. Although I hear I'm in the director's cut. Mm -hmm. but I don't know because I only saw the theatrical version, but yeah, someone's theatrical. so I don't know. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so it's just an opportunity that came along, like a lot of opportunities, and some of them stick and some of them don't. So, so what I want to say is, I don't know if you're in it or not, just to be a part of that. Like I've never been a part of anything, and those movies are big. Like Peppermint surprised me. That was way better than I actually thought it was going to be. When I, I loved Peppermint. I'm a huge Jennifer Garner fan. Yeah, anyway. me, too. me too. But it was funny because, okay, so they had all of us come in. It was like a post-production type of thing. Mm -hmm. And they probably had, what was it, five of us? Yeah. And they had us all read all the same lines. So if you watch the movie, like all the different like mm -hmm. reporters that you see, we were all in this studio like together, all reading every single scene. And then they kind of edited all in. Mm -hmm. And by the time mine was edited down, I think I have I had one word. Right. I was like, Riley. <laughs> Got you. <laughs> And we shot like all morning, like all day, like, yeah. Well, that's really good. Awesome. I've been in a few things, a few things. Oh, that's really so amazing. Like the life in LA, like, I mean, tell me now, I mean, cause you've been so, this is what I would like to know, your favorite city you've lived in thus far. I know, I probably know the answer. Everyone probably knows, but just, just tell us what your favorite city is. You mean not including my hometown of Lawrence, Kansas? No, 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 no. not including that. We know that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's things I liked about every city that I've lived in, gotcha. but Cleveland stole my heart. Really? Yeah. You know, I, I mean, 
there's just, they're like a little engine that could, yeah. right? And I think it's also because the time in my life when I lived there, I moved there in my mid-20s, mm. um, you were finally at a point in your career where you were making enough money to go out to dinner with your friends and go on vacation, yet everyone's still single, right? right? And nobody has kids yet. Right. So you're like in your late 20s and early 30s and we're going out to dinner with my girlfriends and then you know we'd leave them at like two in the morning and then we'd right. all get together at 8 a.m. for breakfast right. to talk about you know the six hours we work together. Right. You know? so, like, that's what I mean. Like there's just something about, and I live downtown, and it's just a beautiful city, honestly. And it has some of the best restaurants I have ever been to in my life, hands down. Better than LA, like just those little, you know, individually owned restaurants that just make you feel good. Like things I never heard of before, like pierogies. Right. You know? <laughs> Dude, and I honestly, people always tell me that, oh, well, you look much younger than you are. I'm like, it's because I lived in Cleveland. There was right. no sun. Like, <laughs> it is the most overcast place in North America, literally. Okay. And I really feel like it preserves things. Yeah, I got <laughs> Right? So I feel like I came out here, I started freckling. I'm like, what's going on? Where are these wrinkles from? So, I, but I did, I loved Cleveland and it may have been the people, right? Yeah, yeah. And the sports teams. Yeah. Like I really learned to love sports when I was in Cleveland, right? Who doesn't want to root for the Browns? No doubt, you know? yeah, yeah. Right, and the Cavs, yeah. you know? And so, and the Indians. So like they had like three major sports teams, like it was just really a neat environment to be in and to live downtown. I lived on in the warehouse district over on West 6th Street, and so we can walk to Brown Stadium, I can walk to what was then Quicken Loans Arena, like I can walk all around and you can experience, you know, life in the city, but it's like a little city, so you don't get like lost in it. Right. <laughs> Whereas LA doesn't feel like a city at all. No, it's so, yeah, exactly. LA is a whole bunch of suburbs that are like shoved together in proximity, <laughs> but LA feels like a much smaller city than Cleveland ever did, because it doesn't have an epicenter. Good point. Yeah, good point. The center can be downtown. Mm -hmm. It can be Hollywood. It can be Santa Monica. It can be where I am in Studio City. Like North Hollywood. Like it has all these great little places, and not one place. Well, I think that's why like the dating life is so much more aggressive here because if like you see someone and you're interested, oh, yeah. like you gotta get their number now. Right, you don't even. Yeah, you may not see them yet. Yeah. <laughs> Over. <laughs> You know, it's but at first I'm like, whoa, can't you just back off a little? Like, right, right, right. why do you all that? You need my social security number now? Like, what's going on? So, at Q World, at Q World, Joy Benedict is giving Cleveland all the love. So, Cleveland, Clevelandlers, you guys got to show Joy some love out there. You just saw you guys. Everybody's going to want to go visit. You know, I, I actually was fortunate enough to go to Game Six, uh, Cleveland versus. Uh, the uh, Golden State, the Warriors, yep, Cleveland State, and um, and and one of my best friends actually, uh, he he flies private jets. He owns mm -hmm. a company, and uh, anyway, he flew me up there, and we he he worked. The Cleveland, you went to Game Six in yeah, Cleveland yeah. the year that the Cleveland won, won. They won that game. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, when yeah. they were doing the comeback. Yeah, exactly. It was crazy. I worked Game Five. I worked Game Five for ESPN in Oakland. Oh wow! When Cleveland won that game, I got you, got you. And like LeBron, like refused to talk in the right. locker room. He was like doing this, like I'm stoic. I'm, 
I'm in a zone type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. like making funny faces, seeing if anyone notices. I'm like, <laughs> No, but that was my first time going to Cleveland. And actually, I really did. I enjoyed it. I had a great time. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was upset because the Warriors lost, but I had a great time. But I got to see Jay-Z and Beyonce. I was right next to them. And it was pretty cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Like you say, you just don't get to see that every day. Like, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Cleveland. Like, it's a little big city. So there's only so many places people are going to go. So if you want to see them, like, you have, a, like, a one in three chance to do so. I got you. Right? So it was just, it was neat. And it was just a great time in my life. And I had wonderful friends. And I, you know, I don't even look back at like the job experience as being bad. Like I had a great time. Right? And I, you know, I even had gone back to that station and I met with the same news director like a year later. Like I don't have any ill will towards them. Like I feel like everything leads you to somewhere else. And if it doesn't, it's your own fault. No, that's true. Like you can't sit there and dwell on your own decisions. And I was just talking to one of my girlfriends about that here. Cause she was like, well, this didn't happen and this didn't happen and this didn't happen. And I'm like, well, those things haven't happened in my life either. But at some point you have to look at yourself. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't mean that in a bad way, mm -hmm. but we all have our own choices to make. And at some point, like, yes, bad things happen, but bad things happen to everybody. And you have to either pick yourself up and you move on or you sit there and you don't move. Right. And those are your choices. Yeah, that's so true. You're right. You're right. So true. And it's hard for people to reflect some time at that and look at themselves like that. But it yeah. is. Like, nobody wants to look at yourself. Right? I mean, we all look for blame. And I see it all the time when I'm on stories, especially really sad ones where someone dies, right? Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants someone to blame. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes bad things just happen. They do. That's right. That's right. Out of our control. Like I said, you, the day you think you control anything that's going on in your world or your life, you are losing it. It's right. I, yeah. I mean, bad things happen to everybody. They're on a different scale, but that doesn't make them any more overwhelming at the time. And, and sometimes, like, when I'm really starting to feel sorry for myself or you know, upset about something that's going on in my life because it's it's not perfect, right? I try to look at the bigger picture and I try to realize what I do have. Right. And I know that's not an easy task, trust me. Like, mm -hmm. But as I said, it's okay to wallow for one day. Mm -hmm. But then you set the alarm, you make a plan, and you get up the next. That's true. So, so you're right on. The, uh, the thing I want to ask you about, and I think it's really prevalent now, there's so many- Why I'm so awesome? Yeah, you are, which we already knew that. I knew that back in, at KU, so you're good. <laughs> but no, the, uh, the thing i like to ask you is, today with all the different shows coming on about news, news, uh, news uh, <clears throat> like NBC, Fox, uh, they got all these different shows come on. Apple TV has one out. Uh, they're doing all these movies now about Fox, how that whole deal went down. So what would you say to females out there, women out there that want to be in your profession, the, the goods, the bad, and the uglies, things to stay away from. Like, what would you, if you're mentoring them right now, what would you say? Because it's pretty. I mean, every situation's different, but you know, I don't want to classify all situations. I don't want to classify all females. Yeah. You know, we all have a different path okay. and we have a different reaction. But I would say the best thing to do is to be yourself, right? And stick up for yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer in that. And if a situation doesn't feel right, then it's probably not right. Yeah. And you need to walk away from it. Right, I got you. Yeah. I mean, it's kinda, it seems very simplistic, but you know, like you, you have to stick up for yourself. 
Right. And you have to put your foot down if you, something makes you feel uncomfortable. Like, I think, you know, we like to tell young people that, you know, everything's perfect and, and things aren't perfect. Like they're just, they're not. And, but when you're confronted with a situation, we have to make sure, especially with young girls and young women, that at some point in their life, we have given them the strength to be a fighter. Right. And I and I hate to say that, and I wish it was different. You know, we always say we want to take care of this person or take care of that person. But probably one of the best gifts I was ever given was, you know, my father telling me that I could be anything that I wanted to be. Right. And telling me that I was just as good as everyone else. And, you know, he raised me to be a fighter. And, and that's who I am. And so, but it doesn't something that comes easily, right? Like when I started in the business and someone would say something that made me uncomfortable, you know, I'd crack a joke or I'd, you know, shy away or be dismissive and turn around, you know? I mean, it wasn't until I was in my thirties that I had a strength to say, you know what, that's not appropriate. Right, right, I agree, yeah. But, and so that takes, you know, your own confidence and your skills. So I'm saying like, I'm not perfect at that either, but I wish I would have had those words. Like I didn't have the words to express myself when I was younger. I would crack a joke. You're not lying. Because that's my personality. Like I'm sarcastic. And so if I felt like someone was being sexually inappropriate, mm -hmm. I would crack a joke. Right. Right. But it took me till I was in my thirties to realize that that's a coping mechanism right. and I shouldn't have to crack a joke. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now I just flat out say, well, aren't you inappropriate? Yeah, <laughs> I'm smiled. I know you do that too. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good. Oh, so check this out though. But you're you say it. how you say it. <laughs> but that is so real. So even me as a young, because I, when I first got into uh, sales, my first job was medical sales, and I believe it taught me that I did not know how to communicate. That's the mm -hmm. first, and I was a comms major. I still did the comms. Right. I can talk to anyone in the world, but right. when it came to situations that I felt uncomfortable or right. I felt like I was not prepared, I yeah. literally would almost shut down and just try to make it, just try to keep things going, but not really communicate. There's and an I, anchor in Birmingham who taught me the best phrase. Her name's Pam Hoff. She's still there. And she told me, because I would get very flustered at things and, you know, the words wouldn't come out right. And I'm like snapping back, you know, and she pulled me aside one day. She was like, I want you forever to remember this phrase. Help me to understand. Right. So instead of being upset about something, someone wants me to do something, instead of being like, I don't want to do that, say, start the next words with help me to understand. Exactly. Help I me to understand why you think this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. Help me to understand why you want me to do this. Right. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Because it's all about communicating and sometimes, and, and I'm, I need to work on it too. But sometimes we start arguments in our head. Mm -hmm. Come out, it's like a full out, like how dare you, you know? And I have some photographers I work with who will get like really worked up and all of a sudden I just get the end of it. Yeah. And I laugh and they'll be like, why are you laughing? And I'm like, you just had a whole argument in your head and all I got was the end of it. So I need you to back it up. And I need you to tell me what it is that just upset you. Right, right. That's exactly right. And, and we all do that, right? Like that's just part of learning to communicate and learning to not keep things in. 
because it feels better to express it and have the conversation before it ever gets or escalates to a different point. And, and so you're in the point that you got that, that the phrase that you just made is so true, like in relationships and life and business, oh, yeah. you got Help to me ask, you can't assume what they're saying and put on process and think that's what it is. You got to ask them, what are you really saying? What do you really mean? Right. How can, how does that, you know, how do you want me to be involved? Like not only professionally, but it works really well in dating too. Like <laughs> help me to understand. Right. <laughs> why you think this was a good choice? Slow down, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> You're so awesome, Joy. You're so awesome. But yeah, so, so like, so what are your next steps? Like, what do you want to do? I mean, obviously you're in LA. I just want you to know, I'm, I'll, I'm going to, after this is over, I'm going to come out because there's a couple of guys that live out there from KU and then uh, uh, that I, that were with us. Oh, I'm out here from KU. Yeah, yeah. Marlon Sanders and then um, Dorian Brew. Yeah. Was there. So uh, I, I had to come down. He keeps telling I've me. Seen Marlon down. a couple times. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was cool. He was on uh, The Real World, all that stuff, wasn't he? And all that good he stuff. Was, yeah, he was like a casting director yeah. or something like yeah. that, I think. Yeah. You'd have to ask him. Yeah. Call him. Yeah, no. call him. <laughs> but yeah, so, but now I'll come down and uh, we'll have to hang out and just have some coffee or something. <laughs> I prefer my coffee with tequila, but however you want to take it. That's the drink. That is the drink. All I'm, the coffee. Yes. <laughs> well, shoot. Well, I want, you got anything you want to add to this uh, that you want to close with? Uh, no, I mean, I just think, you know, I think positive messages are always good, but don't feel like we always have to be positive, no. right? It's okay to, to be upset. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel all those emotions. And sometimes we get all wrapped up with, you know, happy thoughts only. I only want to surround myself with happy thoughts. But if you don't feel the lows, then you're not really feeling the highs either. Mm -hmm. That's exactly so right. it's okay and then I get really frustrated I have one of my friends who's like every time I'm like how are you it's great everything's great <laughs> and I'm like I don't believe you right that's so true <laughs> nobody's life is great all the time like nobody's I don't care who you are I don't care what you do for a living or how much money you make you know everybody's got problems and things that bother them and and until we can open up and talk to about it, and honestly, when people tell me that, then I just realize they don't look at me as a real friend. Right, I got you. Because if someone's always telling me things are great, then I'm just a surface friend. Right, true. That's a good point. They don't want to talk to you anything about they me. They don't want to tell me what's really going on, or they don't trust me, or they don't value that friendship. And so for me, that's a real indicator that someone's just just not that into me. Right, no doubt. No, you're right. True, true. And your life's so great, they don't need me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's funny. So, so tell me, um, for everyone out there, you have uh, what's your social so they can follow you and you know check you out. And Pretty easy. I'm at Joy Benedict everywhere. At, at Joy Benedict on Instagram, at Joy Benedict on Facebook, at Joy Benedict on Twitter. Right. Um, that's J O Y B E N E D I C T. I think I have a Snapchat, but I don't really use that. Oh, I got a TikTok, but I don't use that either. <laughs> <laughs> I can see them dancing. You will not see me dancing. Right, right. I got you. But the three big ones are at Joy Benedict. Okay. Um, that's where I give out the most information, whether it's work related or personal related, or I take still photography on the side, so that's fun too. I have two Facebook pages. I have a personal page and I have a work page. So. Okay. At Joy Benedict and at Joy Benedict TV, I think. All right. Awesome. All right. I got in early. 
Yeah, it's, that's oh, all right. I love I was say, yeah, you, you got it locked in, don't you? Um, locked in. You know, we're at Q World here. Um, and I uh, just want to say thanks a lot, Joy, for your time. Again, everyone's busy. Every, everyone has choices. And I appreciate you spending some time with us and sharing your story to our audience. Uh, and if, if you have anyone out there, spread the word about Q World. Just trying to get the positive notice out there and have, have people come on and follow and make a difference in their lives. So. Absolutely, and let's not go another 20 years before we oh, talk. No doubt. Seriously, seriously, I'll be reaching back. And when we get done, I'll send you some uh, a copy of all this so you have it. And Sounds you know. good. Well, thank you so much. You have a good day, okay? All right, stay healthy. Oh, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.